and gentlemen, lean in, gather around. You're invited to a heavyweight showdown. In the red corner, all the nations of the world, every military power, every political, financial, educational institution, every philosophy, every way of life, every experience, every way of viewing yourself, every place, person, or message that promises security and hope and peace or threatens destruction and demise. Isaiah, specifically chapters 40 through 55, is a poem. And this morning we get to look at uh, a poem within the poem. And that's been the case and will keep being the case for the next couple of months. And specifically this morning, though also overarching, we are presented with a question by the prophet, the author, the author Isaiah. And the question specifically this morning as we watch this heavyweight showdown in the red corner, all the things I mentioned, in the blue corner, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. And the question before us is, who or what do you fear? And where do you find your hope. So for those of you who take notes and want to kind of follow along, we're not going to walk through it kind of verse by verse. Again, it's a poem. It's a Hebrew poem, and it's two chapters we're covering together. So we're going to jump around a bit. But for those of you, this is where we're going to be walking. You'll see here that we're going to break it down this way. We, first, we have God's challenge. Then we'll see God's people then God's promise, and God's provision. So again, the question before us, before you as individuals, before us as a community, before us is humanity. Who or what do you fear, and where do you look for hope? Let's pray together. Father, as Jim prayed earlier, thank you. And now in these moments we have together, as Sarah shared earlier, we're on a religious holiday in, in many ways. Lord, all of us are coming from different places, different thoughts, different things going through our minds during worship, during our time of singing. And I pray that you will continue to speak to us or to our hearts or shape us as a community, as a people. Let us hear from you. We trust and believe, as we heard last week, that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. And we pray that the thoughts of our hearts and the words of our mouths will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, good morning. 
My name is Dave, as Jim said, uh, the lead pastor at Redemption Tucson. In this place, probably more, uh, more known as the son-in-law to Fred and Donna White, who some of you might know, yeah, I love them, or maybe even the husband to the daughter of Fred and Donna White, and I will take that. That's probably my best title, so I'll, 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 I'll own that one and keep it. And um, also, just sort of out of the gates, I want to let you know I have a stutter, and it'll, you might have picked it up earlier, and I want to, especially in a new place, just let you know, it'll kind of come in and out as I go, and I want to make sure that you, you all have a heads up on that. And uh, it, it's not terribly kind to ask someone with a stutter to cover two chapters worth of <laughs> scripture, so thank you for laughing with me. And, uh, and, and so with that in mind, we're going to just a heads up out of the gates this morning. Uh, I don't have a lot of time for kind of sh- any of my sh- shenanigans. And um, we're going to just, I'm going to kind of p- park it. We're going to hunker down. We're going to walk through these incredible chapters in the Bible together. So go ahead and pick up with me as we first see again God's challenge. Chapter 41, verse 1. I'm going to put my old man eyes on here. And we will get into it together. So chapter 41 in verse 1, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. And if in some of your translations, it might say islands and uh, coastlands or islands is referring to, in this case, the whole world. Okay, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak let us together draw near for judgment. So this is, is, is the invitation. It's earlier, it's the let's get ready to rumble, right? It's the, again, in this showdown, this is the, the call. Lean in, get on the edge of your seats. We've got a showdown before us. And so let's see. First, introducing in the blue corner, God. Read with me in verses 2 through 6 as his kind of credentials are laid out. Who stirred up from, who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? Read undefeated. It's never even been close. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last. I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Behold, God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the creator from the beginning to the end. And in the red corner, all others, all ideologies, nations, powers, any place of purpose, promise, or idea. Identity that you and I can think of. In verse 6, 
Everyone who helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong, the craftsman strengthens, the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. So the imagery here is people are doubling down, are strengthening in, in this other corner, in this red corner. Okay, so again, picture with me, maybe in the arena, right? You have the first, the first gladiator out walking around. You have God speaking, uh, declaring who he is and what he's done. His rap sheet has been wasted. But on the other side, there's like a, a c- curtain. There you hear hammering going on. You hear shouts and acclamations and people are, are getting this opponent psyched up, right? R- 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 ready to rumble. You hear this and you're anticipating what's, what's going to happen. What's, and then again, God is out here walking around and, and pacing and, and, and actually speaking and 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 present, and you're anticipating, well, undefeated, this is probably going to be a, a serious fight, but, but what's going on? And then you hear all this noise, and your anticipation is, is growing, and then the curtain is pulled back, and you have something like this. If you can throw up that first image here. Something like this. It's, 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 it's stiff. It's not alive. It's an inanimate object. Uh, That's not me, by the way. (laughs) It's actually a very bad statue of Mike Tyson, but it's nonetheless, right, ripped, muscular, scary, but not alive, right? Not real. If you have even me, right, short little guy with a stutter, and I'm facing off against that, I'm pretty sure I could take it. Not who it represents, but it. It's inanimate. It's not alive. But even more than that, as we see this foe, it's more like this image. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's silly. In this context, these, these idols, this foe, that God is facing up against. The language used here is like, you know, hammered together. If you're old enough like me to remember Lincoln logs or like Legos. L's are my worst. I don't know why I just picked two words with start with (laughs) L to say, but you know, some kind of crude image that you craft together Again, you have undefeated God, creator of everything from beginning to end, and this opponent. It's utterly ridiculous. So then God issues a challenge in verse 21, down in uh, chapter 41, verse 21. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm 
that we may be dismayed and terrified. If you can go ahead and throw that silly image up there again, the like picture, right? Again, if you can imagine a showdown, and now as this challenge is being made, it's like God is incredibly funny and confident. He's like, tell us what happened in the past. And he's, oh, nothing? Uh, Tell us what's going to happen in the future. Nothing? It's hilarious. It's ridiculous. Verse 24, behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. You are ridiculous, God's foe, God's opponent, and anyone who thinks otherwise. Again, if you can put that image up there, just so it sinks in. Anyone who fears you and anyone who tries to find hope and life in you is ridiculous. But then this radical turn of events happens. Something surprising. The gladiator in the blue corner, right? We've all been invited in to sit in the audience and to watch this showdown. Then God turns and starts to address the audience. He addresses Israel, his people. He says, and I have some things to say to you. So now pick up with me in chapter 42, verse 18, as we see God's people. It's as though if you're ever in a, in a courtroom, any attorneys here or judges or anything like that, If you're in a courtroom and you're there to watch a court case, but then all of a sudden that gate that's up there that separates like the audience from, you know, all all the happenings up there, right, where Judge Judy sits and the other people. Well, when that like piece of wood, that that little fence is removed and all of a sudden you're told, oh, you're not just here in the audience, you're actually a defendant. That's this, 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 turn of events that takes place now as God addresses the audience. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send, who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. God's people were called to be a light on a hill, a light to the nations. Holy, that word holy means set apart. They were meant to be set apart. All these other nations that foolishly, but not in a condescending mean way, tragically worship things like that silly image we had up there. God says, I want you to show the world where real life is found. To show the only place where fear makes sense. To show where your hope can be placed. You're meant to be set apart, but tragically you've blended in. 
you worship things that have no eyes and are deaf. And as a result, you have become deaf and blind. You don't see. You, you were meant to have a cure, and yet you have fallen ill yourself. It's tragic. But you and I, um, we don't worship silly things like that. Right? God's indictment is, that's what you worship. That's what you fear. That's where you find life. But us today in 2023, right, we can look back at Israel and be like, how silly. You worship little chubby boxers, right? Little images, little, like, that's ridiculous. Not us. Not you and me today. We don't worship idols. Let me ask again, who or what do you fear? And where do you find hope? Well, what is it for you? Goods, the accumulation of goods, comfort, experiences, travel, concerts, just nights at the coffee shop, I don't know, hookah lounges, whatever. you know, uh, the Super Bowl, f food, pleasure, security, money, relationships, a particular way of life, friends, popularity, maybe blending in with certain crowds or setting yourself apart from other crowds. Who or what do you fear and where do you find life? Uh, author and pastor Timothy Keller breaks it down like this. To help us understand idols and idol worship, it's like this. Uh, ask yourself the question, who or what in your life would you say, if I had it, then I would be fulfilled? If I had that relationship, that job, that place in life, that uh, wardrobe, bank account, experience, what, again, whatever. If I had it, then I would be fulfilled. Or I have it, and if it were taken away, I would be utterly devastated. I, I think we're all indicted in here. The, the, the champion has turned to the audience. And again, who or what in your life do you say, if I had it, I'd be fulfilled. If it were taken away, I'd be done. I'd be devastated. I'd be wrecked. Let me kind of continue to press in here a little bit. Let's just, let me walk through a list of a few things. A job, if I had it, if it were taken away. Bills kids, grandkids, a marriage, a church plant, this sermon. Okay, I'm right here w with you. You think it was great? Good. Feel good. If I get, I don't know, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, oh, awesome, good. If it's kind of a dud and someone falls asleep, oh, the church plant fails, 
let me, let me continue, kind of press on the gas a bit. Imagine your income is cut in half for the rest of your life. Something terrible happens to your kids or your grandkids. You're viewed a certain way. You're canceled by some, someone or something. A relationship ends. Your physical health begins to wane. Even something as tried as a meal, a Super Bowl party, it just doesn't come out as planned. Right? The, we know someone who builds like a whole, a whole mock-up of this stadium every year, whatever stadium the Super Bowl is, like does a whole mock-up. You know, that somehow like, you know, caves in on itself. <laughs> Whatever it is for you and me, like, again, things massive or things seemingly trite. How are we doing right now? Who is this little guy that John invited in to, like, you know, ran over the family cat and then just took off and drove away? <laughs> like, I just come in and kind of drop a bomb and, like, what a buzzkill, right? What a wet blanket. I mean, uh, I'm right there with you. This isn't the sermon. Again, my own idols of approval and I want to be liked and loved. Like, this isn't fun. But it's real. It's real life. As we continue and just ask yourself, what are your yeah buts? Some of the things I mentioned. We are all in here. I asked who's an attorney. No one raised our hands. We're actually all incredible defense attorneys. Right? As I walked through that l list and I said some things like something terrible happens to your kids or your grandkids. Your financial security is now challenged. Right? A, a degree. Again, in idol, idol worship, John, John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. We are all fabricators of idols. We, can, we all do a great job of taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Right? Kids, grandkids. All, but we use words when I say that, and God is challenging and saying, that's your God. That's what you worship. If you had it, you'd be fulfilled. If it were taken away, you'd be devastated. And we come up with, we hear it right now, and we have these yeah buts. Like, we say things like, that's, that's good stewardship. That's being protective. That's being wise. That's being savvy. All yes. But again, if that's our first yeah, but when God, the Holy Spirit is pressing in and revealing our idols that we would never call idols and we wouldn't call it worship. But again, who or what do you fear and where do you find hope? And if you're feeling some kind of way like I am right now, and this is just really uncomfortable and God's people would all of a sudden be like, whoa, he turned on us. This is uncomfortable. Let's now continue on and we remember all of this comes in the context of God's promise. In uh, chapter 41 again, in verse 8 right now, pick up with me. Again, if you're the note kind, you can flip around here, but I have them up here on the screen too. God says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, 
whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hands. God's plan is kindness and love. A covenant. You, you've heard the language of covenant. This is God, God's promise. Okay, the, the, the language of covenant is a promise. And God's reminder is he's bringing the heavy right now, right? This is not comfortable. As our idols, our false gods are being exposed and revealed and we're being called to repent. We're being called to give an account, to answer for our sin, for choosing anything other than God. God reminds us of his promise. The language of covenant can be understood this way. Covenant is, I have made an appointment with you in the future that I intend to keep. Let me just briefly say, I come from a family of multiple divorces. Both my parents were divorced twice. They actually introduced each other as their first ex. So thankfully, like, God can redeem all things. My parents danced at my wedding. They became friends. They would joke about it. But it's also not the way it should be. That's why divorce is such a big deal. When we make promises, it's saying, I intend to keep this. And sadly, we look at God through that lens of, oh, things happen, people move apart, you change, you need to do what's best for you, all this. Let me say the good news for any of us who have experienced divorce or walked through, through it ourselves. The, the good news is, again, God can do all things and make all things new. In fact, Jesus promises that's what he's doing. Right now, he's declaring from the throne, I'm making all things new. But also the good news is, though we break our promises, God never does. Amen? As God brings the heavy and, and shines the light on our, on our terrible, offensive, false worship, he says, but remember I'm good. Remember I love you. He uses language, language of tenderness and care. He says, I've made a promise with you, an appointment with you in the future that I intend to keep. But how, how God's people, Israel, and maybe you and I even now, we're invited into this, this whole passage is pregnant with how, how. God, how are you going to fulfill your promise? Introduction to God's provision the servant king. Read with me in chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Mark chapter 1. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the heavens opened and the spirit of God descended on him like a dove. Hundreds of years before that event, before that moment, we have here this promise of a servant who is upheld, who is delighted in, rejoiced in, who 
God's spirit is upon. Then in verse two, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands, right? The entire world is in view. Wait for his law. The servant will not be crushed until he's done what God has sent him to do. If there's any way to take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will. Until the time that he looks out and says, it is finished. It won't be done to him. He will choose to take it upon himself. This servant king will indeed suffer, but it won't be as a helpless victim. It will be as a all-powerful servant king. In verse five, thus God says, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. Verse six, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, the suffering king will say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He will stand in the gap for God's people. He will say, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then when he raises from the dead, there will be an invitation into death. And from that death, life acceptance, full reconciliation. He is the light of the world. Where God's people have failed to be set apart, he is the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness. In verse seven, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. False gods can't see, can't speak, can't hear, but they make those who fear them or find life in them deaf and blind and paralyzed. But the servant king will come to give sight to the blind, to, give, to open the ears of the deaf, to help those who are in every way, paralyzed. He will say, get up and walk. Come with me. I don't condemn you. I give you life. And then as we close out this time together, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. 
before they spring up, I tell you of them. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. There's kind of this growing sense in our world today of saying, oh, that's kind of petty. God's a, God's a petty narcissist. Not if it's true. If, if you're a gourmet chef and someone is eating cold hot dogs and leftover Taco Bell and just says, this is the best food in the world. How can you not say, let me, let me, let me open your eyes to reality. It's loving for God to say, I alone am God. I don't share my glory with anything else. You, you, you need not fear anything or anyone else. God says, I alone give life. Why are you looking for it anywhere else? As I prepare to sit down and we continue and respond, Redemption Peoria, God's people, individually, corporately, we're faced with the question, who or what do we fear? Where else do we look for life? Let us not grow complacent when we consider Jesus, when we see a cross. The servant king came to heal and to save and to make all things right. In Christ alone, there is true power, perfect peace, and life-shaping hope. Let's pray together. Lord, now as we respond individually and corporately, I pray that, Lord, you have spoken to us through your word. This section written thousands of years ago in different contexts that the idol worship of your people looked very different on the outside, but inwardly it's the same. Lord, we fear things. Our lives are, are held captive by things that we are so afraid that we have no control over. But you have all power, all control. What would it look like for us to be able to say, not my will, but your will? If these things are taken away from me, I will be absolutely sad. It will be tragic. I will need the care and the comfort of your spirit, of your word, of your people, but I won't be ultimately undone. I won't be devastated. Or these other things, good things, if I have them, oh, I hope I'm generous with them. I hope I am blessed by them. I hope you are glorified by them. But I know they won't ultimately fulfill and satisfy. Lord Jesus, let us find our hope and purpose and joy in you and in you alone. In your name we pray, amen.